also notice how on a regular basis, the whole joke about going with haste, who's hate, that seems to find it some way into every Christmas. <laughs> it's like a recurring theme every Christmas. Oh, man, that's all good. Just keeps coming back. It's awesome. You know, this year was, uh, we, we had to replace our church Christmas tree. I'm pretty sure the previous tree was here longer than I've been. I've been here a long time. I'm like a fixture around here. Yeah, it's like down in the box downstairs. And people it's a little nice bank, too. Yeah, so you can have it. It's, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Apparently, all the nice trees, they're all pre-lit. Apparently, it's too much work for people to put their own lights on a tree anymore, so they all pre-lit now. It's kind of disappointing. Our tree is not pre-lit at home. This year it has bright pink LED lights because my youngest daughter demanded that the tree be pink. So we have pink lights and pink ornaments and then these really cool like clear and white frosted sort of ornaments. And then this like pink bow on the top with streamers coming down the sides. It's very pink. <laughs> I can't complain. Yeah, like my, it's very good for the third Sunday of Advent. Um, I can't complain too much about that though, because there's been many years where the tree has been nothing but blue and gold for obvious reasons. <laughs> and even one year when it was black and gold um, for the hawks. So, so I guess it was her turn to finally get to choose what she wanted for the tree. Um, and of course, we put lights on trees and. We traditionally celebrate Christmas with lights, right? From our trees, candles, right? And they have light on the advent wreath. We light the candles. Uh, lights all over the place. I, I remember, some of you I'm sure remember this. In the old days, you used to be able to go out to Hawkeye, and they would have these massive Christmas displays at Hawkeye, and you'd drive around the campus, and the whole campus had all these, these Christmas light displays. Um, and when I was a kid, we used to get in the car some evening and drive around town and look at people's Christmas lights back in the day. Um, gas also only cost like 70 cents a gallon back then. So. Yeah. We like the light of Christmas, I think, because so many of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah often actually occur in times of darkness for Israel and Judah. Remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, and the promise of the virgin who would be with child was a time of darkness in Judah. As the northern kingdom Israel had allied itself with Assyria and had come to besiege Jerusalem. And that prophecy continues through chapter 8 and into chapter 9 with more prophetic words about the one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. It says in the first seven verses of Isaiah 9, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
for the yoke of his burden and the, for the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah gives a prophecy of a light in the darkness from Galilee. He says that from Galilee, the people who are in darkness will see a great light. Now, if I were to take you to Luke chapter 4, which is not part of the Christmas story, it is the part of the story where after Jesus has gone and been tempted in the desert, he comes to begin his public ministry. And his public ministry begins the synagogue in Pernium, which is in Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. The light coming from the land of Galilee, just as Isaiah prophesied. And both in Isaiah's time and in the time of Jesus, the land of Israel was in darkness. Judah rarely followed the Lord, and in Jesus' time, Roman oppression dominated the land once ruled by King David. And a lot of this, honestly, had been the result of Israel trusting in things other than the covenant God who promised them both blessings for following and discipline when they rejected him in favor of other gods. And the truth is, not much has changed in the 3,700 years or so. 2,700 years since Isaiah. How many? 2,700 years since Isaiah. Most people still walk in darkness. People are still trying to find purpose and meaning. Things other than God. People look to money and power. Their careers, to relationships, to drugs and addiction, whatever. All looking for things to fill, to bring light into their darkness. And all of those things, of course, find themselves wanting. And what happens is people, much like Israel did, live in spiritual oppression rather than the freedom that can be theirs under Jesus' benevolent kingship. And so God promised that someday a light would come forth from Galilee, and of course that light is Jesus. And now Isaiah will describe the works of the great light that comes from the way of the sea. In this famous verse in chapter 9, verse 6, the light of God incarnate says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Some of you, when I read that, are hearing Handel's Messiah in your head. What's the child is born? A son is given. Anyway, great stuff. There's a really great Christmas flash mob. I showed him one. It says that there's going to be a child born who is God himself. Remember this prophecy started back in chapter 7 with the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And now it's being elaborated on in these verses. The God with us is being described in these glowing terms. 
fact, they're, they're written in, in Hebrew in, in what is referred to grammatically as the, the prophetic perfect. They're written as if it's already, it's already happened, even though it won't happen for hundreds of years. It's written as if it had. So sure are they that it's going to happen. Now, your Bible may or may not have five names for Jesus here. And if you've heard the tune of the Messiah in your head as I was reading the verse, you'll know when it gets to the names, how does the Messiah go? It goes, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, right? That's because some translations, the King James and, and I think whatever handle was working from, um, they're working from the Latin. Because in Latin, that's exactly how it reads. It was very common in that time to read the Bible in Latin. And I'm guessing, I mean, I don't know Handel personally, but um, someday when I get talking, he's probably working from the Latin. Or, is, is, is the Messiah originally written in Latin? I don't even know. Is it written in English originally? Italian? It is originally written in English. Okay, so he's probably working from the King James, which I do believe you follows the Latin in this, because in the Latin it says, Nomen eus admirabilis, conciliaros, deus fortis, pathos seculi, princeptus passes, which you can hear it when I say it, that it splits wonderful and counselor, admirabilis conciliaris, into two parts. But in Hebrew, that is not how it reads. In Hebrew it reads very differently, because there, the wonderful and the counselor, unlike the Latin, are not both nouns, they are a noun and an adjective. So in Hebrew, it says, El Shmo El Gabor Shashalom. My very bad Hebrew pronunciation. But there, the grammar makes it very clear, in Hebrew, that you have four nouns and four adjectives. And the four nouns are described each by four adjectives instead of splitting. So that's why in our modern versions, we get four names for God, the first of which is Wonderful Counselor, literally the Wonder Counselor, because the Messiah himself is the Wonder. The Hebrew indicates something miraculous, something that's not natural. And he is miraculous, and his counsel is miraculous. Think about Jesus. When he comes, he confounds the scribes. He confounds the Pharisees every time they try to trick him. He's 12 years old, and they find him with the rabbis, and he's instructing the teachers of the law because of his wonderful counsel, his miraculous wisdom. And so that tells me that he's wise enough then <coughs> to guide my life and to solve my problems. You know, people are searching for answers so often. And they're looking for relief so many times that only is going to be found if we choose to follow and apply the wisdom and the counsel of the wonderful counselor. And we're promised that if we need wisdom and we ask for it, that it will be given to us. Then it tells us he's the mighty God. This is meant to contrast with the humanity in the beginning of the verse, right? A child is born, for unto us a child is born. But what is that child? He's the mighty God. He is, as chapter 7 reminded us, Emmanuel, God with us. 
God who was able to do all he's promised. God who through his death and resurrection will save people from their sins. And then he's called the everlasting father. Not only is he the mighty God who saves, he is the one who loves as a perfect father would. Provider, strengthener, teacher. Now when it says everlasting father here, that's not to be confused with the idea of God the Father, right? We think of God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. The fatherhood idea here when it's used in the Old Testament like this is the idea of shepherding and caring for people. It's the idea that how ancient Near East kings would refer to themselves as the fathers of their people, or the shepherds of their people, meant to be their guide, their, their, the one who cared for them, the one who protected them. And that's what's meant here by the everlasting Father. Jesus is our guide and our protector, our shepherd. And then finally, he's the Prince of Peace. Remember, these people lived with war almost all the time. I sometimes think it's hard for us to, to fully grasp what it would be like to live in these times when really it was pretty much some kind of war almost all the time. In fact, that's the, the, the years of peace like under Solomon are so astonishing in many ways because most of the time there was some kind of war going on. There was always somebody trying to attack you or take over your territory or just the city down the road trying to come take your fields, that sort of thing. But the Messiah is the Prince of Peace. He brings peace both on earth between people and between God and people. Physical and spiritual peace. And when Jesus came in his first advent, this part of his ministry was completely understood. Misunderstood. They were, they were looking for that political Prince of Peace, right? Who would end the Roman oppression. But they needed a spiritual Prince of Peace who would end the bondage to sin. So in comes the Prince of Peace, God with us, who makes the way of peace between us and God. And so Isaiah foretells of a time when this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace will come and bring eternal peace and a glorious, perfect, benevolent reign over everything. When the Messiah comes as the promised divinity king. That's verse 7. Where it says, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So from this time forth refers to the time when he establishes that growing government of peace. The increase of his government of peace there will be no end, it says. Hasn't happened yet. All you gotta do is watch the news. We're not growing peace, it doesn't seem to be saving. Maybe growing other things, but none of them look like peace. But one of the greatest Old Testament promises is when God tells David, there will be a descendant of his one day who will rule, who will rule from his throne forever and ever. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, Remember that part of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1? Angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and he says, You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. 
And one of the ways he describes the baby comes from the promises of Isaiah 9. It says in Luke chapter 1, verses 33, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And what does he say? And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And so Jesus comes in fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah 9. And he even presents himself, you'll recall, part of the Easter story, the beginning of the week, he presents himself as the Davidic king and the prince of peace, right? He rides in Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And how do the people greet him? They greet him as a king. Hosanna to the son of David, they say. Before he could fully rule as king, he went and died for our sins so that he could make for himself a people fit for such a king. A people redeemed by the one who will one day rule from the throne of David forever. And that day is yet to come, but he will come. And he will come back and he will rule. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. From the beginning, Jesus is clearly explained as the one who fulfills the promises that God made hundreds of years before through the prophets. And if we can see that God has fulfilled those first promises, which he has, we can know that we can trust him to fulfill all of his other promises. If we go through and we realize that there's hundreds of promises that were fulfilled in Christ's first coming, and realize there's many that remain yet to be fulfilled, we can have pretty good confidence that just as the first ones fulfilled literally, he will fulfill the ones remaining. Now I know, I know I'm not that wise. My wife will tell you sometimes I'm a wise guy. I'm not mighty. Anymore, I can't even help bench Marissa. help just to keep peace with other people. But fortunately, there is one, Jesus, who has done and can do all that for me and more. And so, here we are at Christmas. Gifts and food and kids programs and music, all the stuff that we love. Next Sunday, Christmas Eve, we'll have music and uh, children's story and uh, gifts for the kids and we'll stand around the room with candles and sing Silent Night all these wonderful traditions that we have on Christmas Eve are so enjoyable but Isaiah reminds us that that 
little baby in the manger is a lot more than just a little baby in the manger. He's the wonderful counselor and the mighty God, the everlasting perfect father, the prince who brings peace, the king who brings us light in the darkness through his life and by his death on the cross. Because the true glory of Christmas points us forward first to what we call Easter, because we know he will go to the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. But it also reminds us that just as he came once, he will return again. And he will bring his eternal benevolent rule over all people for all time. Let's pray. Father, as we are here this morning, deeply thankful for how you have laid it out in such a way that we have these prophecies that happened hundreds of years before Jesus came, and then Jesus came and fulfilled these prophecies. And there are still prophecies that remain to be fulfilled, like the last part of Isaiah 9 here, where we await the increase of his government and of his peace forever. But we know that that someday will come. Christmas is a wonderful time to remind ourselves that Jesus' first coming fulfilled so many of your promises. And there will come a time when those remaining will be completely fulfilled. We will enter into eternal peace and eternal joy in the presence of our Lord and Savior. Thank you for his first coming. He came and he taught. He left us the way to live, and he died for our sins, and he rose from the dead to make a way for new life, eternal life. Father, we look forward to that time when he comes again, when his second advent occurs, when he takes up his father David's throne, and his benevolent and peaceful reign.